How many of you are glad that you are breathing? Let me see your hands. If you are glad you are breathing, praise God. How many glad you're in church today? Amen. Well, during the wedding rehearsal, the groom approached the pastor in an unusual way with an unusual offer. He said, look, I'll give you $100 if you change the wedding vows. When you get to the part where I'm supposed to promise to love, to honor, to obey, and to be faithful forever, I'd appreciate it if you just leave that out. Leave that whole part out. On the day of the wedding, when it came time for the groom to say his vows, the groom uh, slipped a $100 bill in the pastor's hand just to make sure that he remembered what he was supposed to do. And so the pastor looked straight intently in the groom's eye and he said, young man, will you promise to prostrate yourself before her to obey her, to, command, to, to obey every command and wish that she's ever had, to serve her breakfast every day in the morning in bed, to be eternally uh, before God Almighty and faithful to your wife and never to look at another woman again. I mean, to literally serve her for the rest of your life. <laughs> the young man, he had a big gulp in his throat, and he thought to himself, looked around with a tiny voice, and he said, I will. <laughs> then he leaned over to the pastor, and he said, I thought we had a deal. The pastor took the $100 bill out and put it back in his pocket and said, she made me a better offer. <laughs> this morning, I want to continue to talk to you about building deeper relationships, building deeper relationships because everything in life is rooted in relationships everything our relationship with God and our relationship with other people and when our relationships are good life is good hmm? and when life is hard and relationships are good life is still good that no matter what we go through in our life it's really so much about the relationships that we have built in our life. And when we work hard at building strong, deep relationships, no matter what we go through in our life, we can know that we're going to get through this episode, this circumstance, because we've built in our life people, relationships that will hold us up when we go through difficult times in our life. And two weeks ago, we learned that relationships were never meant to be disposable. Somebody say amen. That relationships were never meant to be disposable. That relationships were meant to, to go from one level to the next level. And some relationships get to that level three. You know what I'm talking about. Level one, first glance. Love at first sight. Hmm? Well, I don't believe in love at first sight. I believe in love at last sight. As Kerry Shook wrote in his book, Love at Last Sight. And so it's the first glance. When we look at somebody, everything looks great, looks wonderful. Then it's the second look. When we begin to see that there are some differences we have with the person, or maybe there are some situations in that person's life that make them less than perfect. We thought they were perfect, but they're less than perfect. But for a relationship to really grow deep, we've got to go through the first phase, the second phase, to get to the third phase in our life where we love the person more at the end of our life than we did in the beginning of our relationship. And that is very possible. And I want to thank God to let you know that I've got those kind of relationships in my life where I can honestly say I love my wife more today than I've ever loved her. She is my best friend. Now, she's not perfect. I am, and that's a little hard, but... And I've got friends, best friends in my life that I absolutely love more today than I ever did before. Love at last sight. And that's the kind of life we want to live, where we would build our relationships so deep, be committed to relationships in such a way that when we're on our deathbed, we can have people around us and we can say, I've been a blessed person because I've had people in my life that I've gone deep with. I, I've, I've got people in my life that I've learned to cry with, to laugh with, to do life with. Together, we are better. And so we learned our first secret in building deeper relationships has to do with learning how to be all there. Learning how to be all there in the relationship. 
And how do you be all there? Well, first, you got to commit to time. you got to make the time. Secondly, we got to learn how to shut out the distractions. You know, two weeks ago, I preached about technology and how technology can get the best of you and take you away from those relationships in your life, you know, where you're supposed to be either on vacation or doing something together, and then you go on Facebook or you get an email or a text message. And I, and I got to be honest with you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess to you that, that the, the next Monday, I was apple picking with my family. And my phone started buzzing, you know, and I got a text message and another text message and another email and it was from the office and from people in the ministry. And I was, I was texting and my wife looked at me and she said, did you listen to your own sermon the other day? She says, practice what you preach, preacher. Be all there. Oh, man. She got me. And I said, I'm sorry. I took my phone. I locked it in the car. I said, listen, I want to be all there. So we're all learning how to be all there. And it isn't easy, huh? How did you do this week? How did you do last week with being all there? Are you practicing the art of being all there? Shutting out the distractions so that you can focus on the people that you really love. And then we've got to learn the art of staying at the table when we go through conflict in our life. And that's what I want to talk to you for a little while about. Learning how to stay at the table of conflict. And I want you to look at Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. And it says, you have heard that it was said to those of old that you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable of the judgment. But I say that you, that that anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gifts at the altar and there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go and first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now, now notice verses 25 and 26. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be put in prison. I tell you the truth. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid every last penny. Wow. So this morning, I want to talk about how to deal with conflict in your life. Why? Because every one of us in this room are going to have conflict in our life. You put two people together, and you're going to have conflict. And conflict is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, the truth is, conflict is inevitable. Because when you put people together, they're so different. My wife and I are so different. The people that I work with are so different. And we're not really meant to compete against one another. We're meant to complete one another. But we'll never get to the place where we start completing each other until we stop competing with each other. And the only way we'll stop competing with each other is when we recognize that conflict is not a really bad thing. It's actually a good thing, but it's the way that we resolve the conflict that will determine whether or not our relationship will go to the next level. Conflict's going to come in every, every relationship. And the way that you resolve the conflict will help you to either love the person more or less. So Jesus gives us the secret In dealing with conflict in our life, Matthew chapter 5. Notice what he says. First, he says, you have heard that you're not supposed to kill anybody. Turn to your neighbor and say, I can't kill you. Can't get away with it. No killing. Turn to your neighbor and say, no killing. And for the most part, we know that killing is wrong for the most part. (laughs) But Jesus now is going to go a little deeper. Remember. We want to go deeper in our relationships. We don't want them to be surface. How many of you just want to live on the surface? You want to be five miles wide and and one inch deep. No way. You want to have those relationships. Last week, we talked about three to five relationships in our life. In fact, you got your little book. I hope you take it out and start taking some notes. Your XO journal. And the truth is, we put down three to five people that we want to go deeper in relationship with. 
And so Jesus wants us now to go deeper in our heart in relationship. We know that we're not supposed to murder. And we're not going to murder anybody physically. But Jesus said, let's go deeper in the relationship. Let's go. Let's get healthier. Let's get stronger in the relationship. So Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Anyone who's angry with someone is in danger. Anyone who's angry with somebody is in danger of being in the same place of judgment as the person who murders somebody. Wow. Jesus says to you and I, but I say that anyone who is angry with your brother is liable of the judgment. He just said that about a person that murders somebody. And who insults a brother is liable to the council. Now listen to me. We all get angry. How many of you have ever gotten hang- angry in, the, in this room? All right, the rest of you are heavily sedated. <laughs> Humans get angry. And the truth is God has given us the emotion of anger as a gift. You say, why is it a gift? Because when we get angry, we get motivated to do something about it. Now, there's two kinds of anger, but all of us get angry because God gave us that emotion. But the truth is, Jesus is saying, if we don't do something with that anger, if we don't deal with the anger the right way, if we don't deal with the anger, then let it go. If we don't work through the anger then we're going to be liable to the judgment because we're going to do some stupid things if we don't deal with our anger in our life. So Paul the Apostle, he says, in your anger, don't sin. He didn't say, don't get angry. He didn't say, suppress the anger. He didn't say, don't let yourself get angry. He said, in your anger, when you get angry, because you're going to get angry. How many of you know you're going to get angry in your life? You know, Jesus got angry. He came to the temple and he saw that they were selling things and they were keeping people out of the presence of God. And man, did he get ticked off. And he got angry. You know, there's two kinds of anger. There's justice or righteous anger and not right anger or unholy anger. How do you know the difference? You know, there are times when I get angry and I have to ask myself the question, why am I angry? Am I trying to control somebody? And they just won't listen to me? That's not holy anger. That's unholy anger. Am I jealous of somebody? Am I insecure? Do I want my own way? Am I walking in the spirit or am I walking out of step with the spirit? So, so there's un, un, unholy anger. There's, there's unrighteous anger that's not right. And God says that's the kind of anger you got to deal with. Okay? you got to check your motive while you're angry. But then there is righteous anger. And righteous anger is when we get angry because we see an injustice that's been done. Maybe an injustice in the world. We're dealing with a lot of that stuff today in our country. And there are, and there are times and there are ways in which we should see the injustice and speak out against the injustice the right way. This is very important, very critical. There are times when we are unjustly treated ourselves, And Jesus doesn't say... Pretend like it never happened. Jesus doesn't say, shove it down, suppress it. He says, you got to deal with it. And Paul the Apostle says, in your anger, do not sin. So he says, we're going to get angry, but don't sin. Don't let your anger get out of control. Deal with your anger the right way so that you won't go to a place you don't want to be. Do something that you don't want to do. He said, so don't let the sun go down on your anger, lest you give a foothold to the enemy. Now, I want you to recognize in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and on, that in the context of what Jesus is talking about, he's actually talking about two people that were close to one another at one time. Two people who loved each other. Two people who, who deeply cared about each other. He's not talking about enemies here. Notice, he says, if your brother knows that you've sinned and has an offense against you, go and take care of the matter with your brother. So these are two people that were walking together in harmony. These were two people who really loved each other at one time. These were two people who slept together if they were married. (laughs) I have to say that these days. And they cared deeply about one another. And yet they become adversaries to one another. Notice the deterioration of that relationship. 
He goes from a brother to someone we're angry at, to somebody that we're harboring anger in a heart towards, to someone that we call a fool. In fact, in the King James Version, it says raka. If you say raka to your brother, raka, I don't even know what the word raka means. You know, it just doesn't sound good, though. You know, raka. Everybody's like, raka. I mean, I'm sure when you say raka, it doesn't mean go be blessed and be, be prosperous and, and enjoy life and God bless you. You know, that's raka. It means that you are cursing your brother. That's what it means, to curse someone. He says to call them a fool. He says, notice, he says, when you're angry in your heart, you're in a dangerous place because it'll go to places that you don't want it to go. But notice, he goes from a brother to someone that we're angry with, to someone that we curse or someone that we speak uh, harshly to, to the point where, notice what it says. Now he becomes an accuser, an adversary, and he says, and while you're on your way to court, did you ever notice that some relationships start out so good? Have you ever had a relationship that was so good that turned out so bad? Have you ever watched a relationship go from so close to adversarial? How does that happen? How does a relationship go from loving compassionate relationship? How does a marriage go from a place where they walk up the aisle and they've got all these dreams and all these passions about each other and they love each other so much and they want to protect each other and they want to care about each other. Now they're in court and they're suing one another and they become adversaries and the Bible says if you don't take care of it quickly, if you don't deal with your anger quickly, you're going to turn into an adversary toward that person and the Bible says listen to me, if you don't deal with this quickly, listen, you're going to pay everything Every last penny. <laughs> I'll get that guy. I'll take him for everything he has. I'll take the house. I'll take the car. I'll take his jet skis. I'll take everything in the garage. I'll just take everything. Because I want him to suffer. Wow. Quite different than, I love you. I do. With all my heart. For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health. Until death do us part. So how does it go to that place? Jesus shows us some great principles about how to deal with conflict in our life. Jesus shows us some, some great principles to be able to help us to work through the anger in our life. Notice what he says. Again, go back to Matthew 5, verse 23. So he says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go and be reconciled. Everybody say reconciled. Now, that word reconciled is a strong word. It's not like just make up. The word reconciled means you take two parties that are adversarial towards one another, two enemies, and you bring them back together and you make them friends. That word reconcile is such a powerful word. The Bible says we've been reconciled through the blood of Jesus, with the Father, and now we have peace with God. We were once enemies of God, but now we're friends of God. We were enemies of God, now we're children of God. We're friends of God. Through the blood of Jesus, that word reconciliation is the most wonderful word. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says we have received the ministry of reconciliation. Because we've been reconciled to God, because God loved us so much, because God cared about us so much, he sent his only begotten son. And when Jesus died on the cross, he shed his blood, he made peace with God for us, and brought two parties together that were adversaries against one another, enemies of God. We were enemies of God at one time in our sin. But God, in his mercy towards us, gave us the greatest gift of all, his son, so that we might have everlasting life and find peace with God. So the Bible says that we are to be reconciled to our brother and then come and offer our gift. And here's what I have found. I have found that when we pray, when we really seek the face of God, God always reminds us of the offenses that people have against us or we have against someone else. Why? Because the Bible says we cannot receive the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God unless we're giving mercy and forgiveness to others. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our, of our offenses or trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So when we're not forgiving somebody, it stops the flow of grace and mercy in our life. 
When we have bitterness and unforgiveness, sometimes we don't even know we have it. Sometimes we suppress the anger in our life, and we don't know that we even have bitterness and unforgiveness in our heart. But then we get down to pray. We get down to pray, and we ask the Lord, oh, God, bless me, Lord God, and Lord, I want you to use me. I want to be a holy vessel, Lord. God, I want to have peace in my life. And God says, if you want to have peace in your life, you want to have peace with him, then you have to have peace with him and her. And you've got to let go of the bitterness and the unforgiveness in your heart because I can't bless you. God says, I can't bless you until you let go of the unforgiveness in your life. I can't forgive you until you choose to forgive those that have trespassed against you. That is scary and that is serious. So we can't receive the the mercy of God until we give mercy. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy from God. So when we pray and we ask the Lord and we want to bring our gifts to God, how many of you love God? I love God. I want to bring my gift to God. So I come to church Sunday morning. I want to give my gift of worship to God. I want to sing to God. I want to tell him how much I love him. I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice. I want to bring, I want to bring my offerings to God. I want to bring my gifts to God. And God said, listen to me. Before you bring your gifts to me, before you bring your worship, before you bring your singing to me, leave your gift at the altar and go quickly. Go quickly. And be reconciled to your brother. Now, now he gives us the pathway to reconciliation. In Matthew, I want you to write this down in your books. Matthew 18. Matthew 5 and Matthew 18. Talk about dealing with conflict the biblical way. And Matthew 18 tells us that we're to go to our brother or a sister by ourselves. We're to contain the offense. We're to go to our brother and sister. We're not to go to someone else because I know what most of us like to do. We love to dramatize everything. We watch too many soap operas in America. We watch too many shows in America. We want it to be spectacular. And so we go to somebody and we tell them what the other person did to us, how we feel about the situation. But here's what the Bible says in Matthew 18. He says, keep it between just you and the other person. Why? Because here's what I found. I have found that when I get offended about something and I go home and I tell my wife that somebody offended me, here's what happens. Here's what happens. I get offended. I don't know how to deal with my offenses the right way. I don't let it go. I don't go to the person first, but I want to tell my wife. So I go home and tell my wife, someone so offended me. And here my wife really loves me. I mean, she adores me. I mean, she really loves me. You don't mess with her man. (laughs) Tell me what happened. Why, tell me, I'm telling you, I was in the office and and me and Pastor Henry, we had some words. He, you did? Man, and he said something and I didn't like it. He hurt my feelings, right? And you know what? Now I've given her the offense. Now she's carrying the offense. Now I go and pray and I get on my knees and I pray, oh God, Father, use me, Lord God, and help me to be loving to others. And God begins to remind me how wonderful Pastor Henry is. Oh, you know how wonderful Pastor Henry is, Stevie boy. You know that he loves you with all his heart. You know that he'd never do anything or say anything. that You know he's a man of integrity. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, you're so right. I'm, I'm being silly about the whole, this is terrible. And I go back, knock on Pastor Henry's door. Pastor Henry, come over here. Give me a hug right now. Oh, I love you. So please forgive me. I said something. I felt something about you. It's wrong. And we're slobbering all over each other. I love you forever and ever and ever. And everything's great. I walk out of the office. It feels so good. And I go home. And guess what? My wife's still carrying the offense. Why? Because I gave it to her. And I'm feeling good. I feel free. But she's not free. Why? Because now it's her man. And she loves her man. And so she's carrying now my offense. And instead of containing the offense, now she's carrying the offense. And how we love to dramatize everything. So we go tell somebody else. By the time it gets back, Pastor Steve, they were in the office. They were beating each other. Pastor Steve punched them in the nose. He punched them back in the nose. They were running down the car. They were running after rolling down the aisles together. And man, it was a bad blow up. I mean, what happened? It was just a couple of words. You see, but the Bible says that we're to go to our brother or sister in Christ and we're to deal with it. And once it's resolved, no one needs to know about it. It's done. It's over with. 
finished, contained, and you have preserved the relationship and you have not spilled out poison and become toxic. As the Bible says, don't let a root of bitterness spring up lest you defile many. He says, deal with the issue quickly so that you don't defile many. So that you don't pollute other people. Man, I I have to tell you, it just breaks my heart to see how many churches have been divided, split apart, destroyed. Once that church was a great, healthy, vibrant church and God was flowing through the church, but somebody got offended about something and they didn't handle it in the godly way. They didn't go to the person. They went around the person. They gossiped about the person. They uh, backstabbed the person. They said things that were wrong. And one by one, they polluted every single person person along the way and it created a polluted cistern it created a very ugly scene Jesus tells us in Matthew 18 that if you go to your brother and he doesn't listen to you that's when you take a mature Christian not a Christian that's on your side but a mature Christian and you sit again and if that doesn't happen you go to the leadership of the church so there's there's a process by which we resolve conflict in our lives. But here's, here's the thing that Jesus really drills down deep. He tells us that if you don't deal with the issue quickly, if you don't deal with the offense quickly, that little thing is going to turn into a very big thing. And it's going to destroy and defile many people. And so Jesus reminds us, he says, remember that you cannot truly worship God Or pray at the altar of intimacy with God without acknowledging your relationship with other people. In other words, you can't love God and hate your brother. You can't. It's impossible. You cannot have the love of God in your life and at the same time have hatred towards your brother. I love what it says in 1 John. This is what it says in 1 John 4. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must love their brother or sister. This is not an option. Hello, look at me right now. Loving each other is not optional. Loving your neighbor as yourself is not optional. In fact, Jesus goes even deeper than that and says you you ought to pray for your enemy and if they mistreat you you ought to bless them back come on somebody so in other words your worship to god is directly connected to your love for others and if if you cannot let go of an offense from someone you can't truly really love god that's why the bible says in first john chapter one it says if we walk in the light as he is in the light then we have fellowship with one another He says, in the light, we have true fellowship. When you're talking the truth in love, when you're speaking the truth in love, when you're being truthful about how you feel about other people, when you're forgiving other people, notice what he says. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. Our relationships go deeper, and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. There's constant cleansing because we're constantly going deeper because we're constantly being honest with our emotions and our feelings, with our conflicts and with our anger, and we're dealing with it the right way. And so Jesus said, if you're worshiping God and you suddenly remember that you have an unresolved conflict or an unresolved anger towards your brother or sister that you have offended, stop praying and go be reconciled. So the first key in really... Going deeper in conflict is to deal with the offense quickly. Listen to me. If you you really want to go deeper in relationships, you're going to have to learn the secret of quick resolution, instantly letting go of offenses in your life. He said, come to terms quickly with your accuser. (laughs) That was your brother. Now he's your accuser while you're going to the court. Let me, let me just kind of give you an illustration to help you understand a little bit more about how we are to deal with offenses in our life and how offenses create barriers in our life if we don't know how to deal with it quickly. Now, I want you to know that Proverbs chapter 19 says this, that a person of wisdom contains their anger and learns how to let offenses go. Mm-hmm. And, and, and did you ever meet somebody that's always getting offended? I mean, somebody that gets offended over everything. 
The Bible says the person who gets offended over everything, listen to me, is a fool. Why? Because the person who gets offended over everything is so blind that they can't see their own limitations or their own sins in their life. They become so blinded by the fact that they've got a log in their own eye and they're trying to take the splint out of somebody else's eye that they become blind to the fact that God is giving them mercy over and over and over again. It's kind of like that person who's got that big plank in their eye. You know, that person who really, really believes that they're the just person. They're a righteous person and they're walking around. Guess what? And they're trying to take the splinter out of their, their brother's eye. Hey, brother, let me take that sin out of your own eye. Let me take that offense. And they're smacking people all over the place with their log. And the Bible says if you want to be able to see clearly, if you really want to be able to see how sinful you are, if you really want to see how sinful you are and how merciful God is, you got to take the plank out of your own eye first before you could ever take the splinter out of your brother's eye. And the Bible says a wise person doesn't let themselves become offended. But a fool is the kind of person that gets offended over everything. They get offended. They come to work. Well, she didn't say hello to me. As if the world revolves around you. Well, did you notice Pastor Steve walking in the hallway? He gave me that look. I can't believe she forgot to do this. I can't believe he did that. When the Bible says in Proverbs 19 that the wise person lets go of offenses, doesn't become offended over every little thing. Now, there are times when we're going to get genuinely hurt by people. That's not an offense. It's a hurt. That's a hurt. It's not an offense. It's a hurt. And when we get hurt by people, we have to deal with it the right way. Go to our brother. Speak the truth in love. Do it in a Christ-like way. But, but I want to give you an example. I think this is going to help out. So I need a couple in the room today that has been married for about a year. Anybody just got married about a year ago? Let me see. Let me see your hand. Anybody? Oh, somebody's got to get married in this place. <laughs> All right. Two years. Anybody been married two years or less? Anybody? Three years. Anybody? Four years. Anybody married in the house? Is anybody married in this house, right? And you have your spouse with you. Anybody, anybody that's married five years or less? Anybody? Five years or less? Anybody with its spouse? You have anybody? No. Okay. Anybody married seven years or less? My God. Dear Heavenly Father, help these people. Ten years or less. All right, okay, so I, I need you to come. Can you, can you come up here for a minute? Come here. You, you need to maybe get a babysitter, though. Get a babysitter, okay? Don't bring the baby up, okay? Okay, because this might be harmful to them. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Okay, okay, he's bringing the baby anyway. All right, okay. Okay. All right, all right. So can I have, like, a mommy to come up here to hold the baby for him as well? All right, because I need both of his hands. All right, come on up here. Come on. Oh, they bring in another baby, too. I love it. This is good. Come on. All right, okay. Come on up here, Mamadella. Mamadella, come over here. You know what I'm Mamadella, come on, come on. Okay, oh, wonderful, wonderful. Now the baby's gonna cry all over the place. And, all right, come on. Oh, good, good, excellent, excellent. Come on up here, brother and sister. All right, what a great job. Come on up here. You guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. The only married couple in the room. <laughs> so, okay, so tell me your name. Keon. Keon. Oh, I love that name. What's your name? Tamara. Tamara. Keon and Tamara. Mm -hmm. I say tomato, you say tomato. <laughs> you are right on, brother. Okay, so how long have you been married? Eight years. Eight years. Come on, give it up for Keon and Tamara. Eight years. Mm. Now, now, I'm sure when you first got married, you walked up the aisle of the church, you thinking to yourself, wow, this is going to be good. <laughs> And you were thinking, we're going to have a great marriage, right? Come on. You have, you have to have a vision for your marriage, right? You have to have a faith vision. You know, my wife and I, uh, we're reading this book. It's called, actually, Love at Last Sight. I got a lot of inspiration from Kerry Shuck for this. And, um, and actually, in the book, he tells us that we should make a vision statement, write a vision statement down for our marriage. You know, we have vision statements. How many of you, you, you have a vision statement for your life? I have a vision statement of what I want to do for work. 
Or I have a vision statement of the things that I want God to bless us. And we never take the time to write a vision statement for our marriage. So last week, I was with my wife, and we wrote down a vision statement for our marriage. We said, this is what we want our marriage to look like. This is what we want our marriage to be like in 10, 15, 20 years from now. I thought that was wonderful because I can look back now. I wrote it down and said, okay, if I'm not doing these things, what am I going to do? Because a vision is a picture of a preferable future. Hmm? And so everyone has to have a vision of their relationships, what that relationship would look like. I want you to write that down, right? So you've had a vision of what it would look like. And, you know, over the years, the truth of the matter is we come to the platform and we get married. We give our lives to each other. We give our lives to God and each other. And the truth is, is that we've, had, we've got these great dreams. But I want you to stand right here, okay? So, so Tamara, I want you to stand right here because you're a lot prettier than him. All right. And... And, and Keon, stand right over here. Okay. All right. So here's what happens. So, so he has certain expectations for Tamara, but she can't meet all the expectations. How many know that we can't meet all the expectations of our spouses or the people around us, right? But now he's got those certain expectations. And so he gets offended because she doesn't meet the expectation. And what does he do? Go ahead. Put that right in there, buddy. He holds on to that offense. Instead of knowing how to work through it and, and communicate what he expects and communicate through the offense, he holds on to the offense. She has expectations of Keon, and when he doesn't meet those expectations in her life, she also carries an offense. All right, put that right in there. Thank you so much. That's okay. Yeah, it's okay. My, I told you, that's okay. It's all good. It's all good. Come on up here. Come on up here. Come on up here, sweetheart. Come on up here. Eight years, you, you, you got to come up here, young lady. Come on. Come here, sweetie. Come here. You stay with mommy. That's it. Give her a big hand. It's all good. I love you. I love you. You're so pretty. How did you get so pretty? Oh, man. You, you're working this thing hard. Yeah. Oh, no. It's okay. Here's mommy right here. Here's mommy right here. Yeah. Okay, now she's offended at me. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. Okay, so now he, uh, he, tell, he thinks that she spends too much time with her mother, right? With the in-laws. <laughs> and, and, and the in-laws are starting to become outlaws. But, but she feels that he spends way too much time with his buddies playing fantasy football. And they're not talking about it. They're not dealing with it. They're kind of holding on to their stuff, their issues, and their offenses. And he, he never tells her that her cooking is good. He always tells her that his mother cooks better than she cooks. And she burns the food, and he holds on to that offense. And she feels that he never listens to her when she's talking to him. When she walks into the room and he's watching the football game, he makes the volume louder instead of putting it on mute, and he never listens to her. But he feels that she's constantly nagging him. And the reason why he doesn't listen any longer is because she is always nagging. But they had a blowout one day, and he lost his temper. And he said some things that were really hurtful. And as a result, she said things that really hurt him. As a result of that, they carry the offenses because they have not learned the art of working through the issues, talking through the offenses, making sure that they do it quickly, making sure that the sun does not go down on their wrath. And as a result, they have decided to hold on to their offenses. And when you hold on to your offenses, you build a fence between you 
and the other person. So, so how do we deal with the fence? How did we get this far? How did we get to the place in our relationship that at one time there was no wall, there was no fence, there was no divider between him and I or her and I, but now there's a fence there. What do we do about it? The first thing we do is we decide, we recognize that Jesus Christ carried our offense on the cross, that he died for our sin, and we have no right to hold on to offenses of other people because if Jesus died on the cross and nailed our offense to the cross, then we need to learn how to forgive one another. Somebody say amen. What do we do with our offenses? We recognize that we've got some logs. We've got some really big logs in our eyes, and we've got to take the logs out of our own eye. And what do we do with our offenses? We decide that we are going to simply let them go. One by one, we're going to let go of our offenses. One by one, we're going to take our pickets and our fences, and we're going to let them go. Why? Because it's just not worth it. Come on, somebody. Say amen. And maybe today you've got some offenses in your life. Maybe today as you were worshiping the Lord, the Lord, let's give this folks a big hand today. Amen. And guess what? Keon and Tamara, after the service, I want you to see me because I'm going to give you a gift certificate to go out to lunch together and enjoy your wonderful family and marriage. God bless you guys. God bless you guys. Let's give them a big hand. Hallelujah. God wants to take us deep in our relationships. But we've got to recognize that the enemy is constantly wanting us to build fences between the people that we love. He wants us to build walls between the people that we love. And I'm here to tell you today that God wants you to pull down some fences. He wants you to take some offenses and put it at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, the only way that I'm going to be set free to build deep relationships is when I set free those who have offended me. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, I thank you today for your Holy Spirit that is speaking to us. And I pray that we would recognize that we have a decision to make, Lord. We must decide no matter what happens that we will obey and honor and trust Christ in every conflict of our life. That maybe today, right now, this afternoon, we're in the middle of a conflict and we want to run. But today we're going to decide that we're not going to run. Today, we're going to decide to honor Christ and obey his word. We're going to decide that we're going to trust God with all of our heart, and we're not going to lean on our own understanding. And we're going to honor Christ in the way that we handle conflicts, even when we have been offended or hurt. Because, Lord, we know that the world is watching us, Lord. And we know, Lord God, that when we don't handle conflict the right way, we dishonor you, Jesus. And so, Lord, teach us that our life is not our own, God. That, Lord Jesus, that in the way that we handle conflict is a reflection of our love for you, Lord. And, Lord, help us to walk in humility. Help us to really understand that we need to learn to look at our own faults before we find the faults of others and recognize that you have given us such mercy in our life. Help us not to live in denial, Lord. Help us to talk about the offenses. Help us to learn how to speak in love when we are offended, O God. And help us also, Lord, to learn how to drop offenses, Lord. To learn how to say, I will not become offended by things in our life. Because, Lord, as your word says, we are to be slow to get angry. Because being slow to get angry compares to great understanding as being quick-tempered compares to stupidity, to foolishness. And so, Lord, our goal is to go deeper. 
to win the relationships, to reestablish our relationships, to be reconciled. Help us to define the problem and stick to the issue and, and help us to forgive from our heart, Lord. Lord, help us to promise that we won't bring up the past, that the past is under the blood. Help us to promise that we're not going to dwell on those things that are already in the past. Help us to promise that we're not going to talk to other people. We're going to go to the source and deal with it the right way. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to have the attitude of Christ in our relationships with one another, having the same mindset of Jesus Christ, being in the very nature God. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and becoming obedient to death, he died on the cross. Lord, he died on the cross and the world thought he was a fool. He died on the cross and the world thought he was a criminal. But he died on the cross to bring peace in our life, God. And Lord, today, Jesus, you tell us to forgive as we have been forgiven. And so how do we go deeper in our relationships? We're quick to let go of offenses before we build a fence of division. We decide to honor Christ in all of our relationships and we deal with conflict in a biblical way. And so maybe you're here today, this afternoon, you say, Pastor Steve, pray for me. I'm not certain if I die today, I'd go to heaven. I need peace with God. I need to be forgiven of my sins. I want you to pray for me today, Pastor Steve, that I would truly surrender my life to Christ. I want you to raise your hand right now. I want to pray for you if you're here today. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to surrender my life to Jesus today. I want to ask Christ to be the Lord of my life. God bless you for that hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you for that hand. Others that are here, yes, God bless you. Hey, after the service this afternoon, I'm going to invite you to do something. We've got some people that love you and care about you. We call them altar counselors, and they have some information they want to give you. And so right after the service, I want you to see one of the counselors. They want to pray with you and give you something. They won't keep you long, but they want to give you some information on your newfound journey of faith. I'd like everybody to stand right now. And how many of you in this room, you would say, Pastor Steve, I need to learn how to deal with conflict in a better way. Pastor Steve, I, I need to learn how to deal with conflict in a Christ-like way. I want to honor God in my conflicts. I want you to, I want to see your hand right now. I got two hands up, man. Ooh, woo. The flesh comes out. The flesh comes out. Sometimes we can lose it, man. Lose it. But I want you to remember one thing. People are watching you. Your children are watching you. You know what the Bible says? Listen to me. Look at me. The Bible says the sins of the parents are visited upon the children to the third generation. And the truth of the matter is, is we pass on our conflicts to our children because they're watching us. But when we deal with it in a Christ-like manner, we pass on being a peacemaker. You know, Ken Sand in his book, The Peacemaker, he tells us that there are three types of people in this world. There are peace breakers, people that are always offended and always wanting to break peace. They, they're, they're divisive people who want turmoil. They, they seek to see people divided because they're so insecure, angry people. Then there are peace fakers. You know what a peace faker is? Everything's good. Everything's fine. Everything good, man. You know? Everything's fine. But it's not. And we're harboring resentment, hurt, and we're not dealing with it the biblical way. It's going to come out. You, if you don't deal with it the biblical way, it will come out. You will hurt somebody. You will hurt yourself. You know, a lot of people that are sick in their body, a lot of people that are depressed and anxious, they're depressed and anxious because they've got an unresolved conflict that they've never dealt with in their life. And it turned, it turned up in their body and made them sick. And then there are peacemakers. Notice the word peacemaker. He didn't say tolerate peace. He said you are to be a peacemaker. In other words, he didn't say just put up with stuff. He said, you are to actively seek to make peace. Blessed are the peacemaker, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And so I saw a lot of hands go up. And so let's just once more, as an act of worship, say a prayer to God right now. Raise your hands. I want us to say a prayer to God today. 
as an act of worship let's do it together heavenly father i recognize there are times in my life where conflict can really get me and i don't always respond the right way but fill me with your holy spirit help me lord to always recognize that my sin is great my offenses are great help me to walk in humility help me to forgive those who have offended me help me to seek forgiveness from those I have offended help me to be biblical in the way I deal with conflict Lord help me to love everyone and have not even one relationship that I have not sought to bring peace in the name of Jesus amen come on can you worship him for a moment hallelujah Jesus now Lord I pray for anyone in this room Lord that's been hurt God Lord I pray for anyone in this room Lord God that's been bruised anyone that has gone through the pain of divorce the pain of rejection the pain of being stabbed in the back the pain of being spoken ill about the pain of being taken advantage of God Lord I pray that they would recognize that offense will come pain will come Lord but Lord we choose to bring our pain to the foot of the cross today and we choose to say father we're willing to forgive Lord even if it's a process in our life of being healed we choose today to forgive those that have hurt us Lord those that have trespassed against us so that we might be free Lord because bitterness is the poison that we drink while we wait for the other person to die and Lord help us each and every one of us to be quick to let go of offenses so we'll never build a fence Lord and a wall that divides us between the people we love and now may the Lord bless you and keep you may the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you may the Lord lift up his countenance to you and may the Lord give you peace in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Remember, God has a plan for your life, and it's big, and I love you so much. Have a great day in Jesus.